Praise the Lord, my Lord, the mightiest, mightiest prophets of the Lord. Amen, uh, Senior Pastor Kennedy and your team there. Well, uh, blessed people, the Lord Jehovah spoke with me uh, uh, this past night, this past night, past morning. The Lord Jehovah has taken me to his throne room and then he presented the tree of life. And I saw the blossoming of the leaves of the tree of life. And that means uh, there's going to be tremendous healing service, probably, that will take place in this land, probably in this land. Uh, the Lord, again, this past night, took me up into heaven in the wee hours of the morning. And uh, the Lord showed me the tree of life in heaven and then the leaves so when he placed the leaves in my hand they blossomed so either there's a lot of people that got healed yesterday or there's going to be another healing service that will take place either there's a lot of people that got healed yesterday from uh, the conference that took place at Yaya Kilimani or there's going to be another healing service. But I saw the blossoming of the leaves of the tree of life into several trees, actually, when the Lord Jehovah, when he did place those leaves of life, the leaves of the tree of life, in my hand. And I know, but I know that uh, right now, a Thanksgiving, a Thanksgiving celebration is supposed to be taking place when uh, the nation comes before the Lord on the 28th of this month and I'm not aware that uh, at the radio station you are still in receipt of the message, the tremendous message that was spoken yesterday at Yaya Kilimani. I know that you are still in the process of receiving that message from the technicians at the Yaya Kilimani conference. Again, the Lord has spoken with me this first night. It took me into heaven, and then I saw him place before the hands of the two prophets of the book of Revelation, chapter 11. He placed the leaves of the tree of life upon their hands and blossomed into several other trees. The final detail I've not shared here, but blossomed immensely. And that means that there was a lot of healing that took place yesterday, or there's going to be a major, major healing service right on the hills of Nakuru Menengai 3. Now, I know that the radio station, you're in the process of receiving the message from Nairobi that was given yesterday to facilitate your discussion. But I wanted to raise the following things that took place yesterday. Yesterday in the debriefing, when the entire College of Bishops came to the head offices here, and there was a very long debriefing. There was a very, very long debriefing when the entire College of Bishops came to the head office here. And uh, the two prophets of the Lord debriefed them on uh, the conference that had taken place and also to get their debrief, uh, what they got, what they understood, and how they would move the church forward from this point on, based on the gravity of what was spoken yesterday. And that briefing went on almost up to 10 coming to 11 before 
11 p.m. in the night before they left for their respective jurisdictions. Now, this is what I want to get your attention, uh, Pastor Kennedy and Ransom and uh, the, the conversation that you're having on radio. But yesterday at that debriefing, what came out very clearly is that the Lord at Yaya Kilimani conference yesterday, the Lord at that meeting, the Lord set out. He set out to address certain very important aspects of the Christian salvation as of now in the church. And he set out deliberately to address this perpetual sin that has continued on in church despite salvation, despite receiving the grace, the, the, the covenant, the salvation of the grace and sin, perpetual sin has continued on. So that is what the Lord set out yesterday to address and uh, in the little debriefing that took place here that I want to share with you as you await that clip, the message from Nairobi that I may be clearer. Yes, so um, in that conversation, it is very, very important that uh, even as your listeners uh, continue in this discourse about the conversation of the Lord yesterday, the instruction, the Lord, it is important to understand, set out yesterday to address the perpetual sin in the church, that there would be a place at which the church would draw the line. The Christians would draw the line and say, enough is enough. We cannot proceed beyond this. And why was that raised by the Lord yesterday? You saw very clearly that at the Genesis, as you will receive that message in the beginning of that conference, you see at the Genesis of the meeting that the Lord set out to deliver the gravity of the kingdom of God, the gravity of going into heaven, the Christian going into the glorious kingdom of Yahweh. And he began that by reading from the book of Revelation, chapter 4, verses 1 on up to 11, at which place the Lord intended to deliver to the nations, as you will see when those recordings come and you begin to play them in your studio. If uh, it went right away, the Lord went right away to Revelation, chapter, chapter 4, verses 1 to 11, at which he described the gravity of going to heaven, the gravity of rapture, being taken into the glorious kingdom of God. Those events, those three prophecies that he laid, he laid the prophecy of the New Jerusalem, that now that is the home of the righteous, where the church, the Christians, would go and live. After it's all said and done here, and they have executed their salvation on the earth, then he would take them into the home, their eternal home where Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you, according to the book of John chapter 14. And so, you see that the home of the righteous, he, ra he raised that banner, the new Jerusalem. And then in the second prophecy, he talks about the wedding ring, the event, the cascade, the cascade of the events that bring the Christians into the glorious kingdom of God. And he talked about the glory that comes to prepare the anointed way for the coming of the king, the Messiah. And then he talked about also the final entry, the announcement of the entry that is symbolized by the spiritual glorious wedding rings that were placed in the sky. 
And beyond there, after that, he gave the third prophecy, those prophecies that he used to anchor the message. The third one is the command he gave that lowered into the sky the glorious stairs of eternity. And so, so those three prophecies were used as the anchor by the Lord to anchor the message yesterday. And his target was to stop this perpetual sin in the church and bring gravity to the process of the entry of the church into the glorious kingdom of Yahweh. And very, very clearly, as was seen yesterday and when the message will come to your studios, as you begin to play them to your listeners, replay them, brother, and those who listened yesterday, you found out that the Lord actually began from Revelation chapter 4, verses 1 to 11, where he laid the gravity of the splendor of the throne. And he says, at the throne of God, there is holy, 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 holy three times to emphasize the eternal holiness of God. But if there is anything, and he made reference to the book of Isaiah chapter 6, when Isaiah also appears before the throne of God, and the seraphim pronounce the holiness, holiness, and holiness, the three times, the thrice holiness of God, the threefold holiness of God. And you see, now also, in creatures around the throne of God in Revelation chapter 4, he raised it yesterday, that they are announcing the holiness of God. In other words, when it comes to entry, when it comes to the entry of the church and going to appear before the throne of God, to worship God, the holiness of God is very paramount and very instrumental and is key. It is the yardstick. It is the yardstick the Lord uses for determining who enters his glorious kingdom. So that, that is a very important briefing that happened yesterday. The Lord raised that banner of holiness. says, only by holiness does one enter the glorious kingdom of God. That came out very clearly. And I'm simply sharing the little nugget of the debriefing that took place with the whole college of bishops at the head offices at night. It went on the whole night. I rather night long up to around 11 p.m. after the meeting. And very clearly, the Lord came out to further emphasize that the throne of God lays gravity, delivers gravity of God, the gravity of God to this generation, that they may be able to take God more seriously, that they may be able to take God now with greater fear and trembling. And then that would cause them to prepare appropriately for the glorious coming of the Messiah. And we saw yesterday in that meeting what I don't want your listeners to lose focus on that as he targeted the, 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 the stoppage, the, the deletion of this continual perpetual sin in the lives of the believers, living their lives all over the world, today you are in the streets, today you are in offices, and then on Sunday, of course, in church, but the sinfulness, the sin that has plagued the lives of the Christians, he was targeting that yesterday, as you saw. They targeted the sanctification of the Christian, of the believer. But in that process, you see very clearly that in laying the gravity of God, in presenting the gravity of Jehovah at his throne, where the church will be, you see very clearly that the Lord came out very, very awesomely to emphasize that at the throne, 
that is the place of greatest power. The power of God. And it says greatest authority, greatest holiness, greatest honor, greatest grace, the greatest justice, the greatest praise, the greatest purity, the greatest sovereignty of God, the greatest majesty of God, the greatest joy, the greatest eternal life, the greatest peace, the greatest glory. So he presented greatest, greatest ever. And many more. The list goes on almost a thousand, a thousand items. If you just sit back and envisage the throne of God, he that speaks with you, it's on a different scale because he has seen the throne of God. He has seen the presence of God. The, 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 the presence uh, where the tree of life is. And so he, he knows even greater, the greatest splendor is at the throne of God. And in reading the book of Revelation chapter 4, you see very clearly the Lord wanted to deliver to the church globally that look, it is gravity. It's a serious thing to prepare and enter the glorious kingdom of God. You cannot take it as a trivial thing. And you see, in that way, the Lord was talking about the splendor, the micro quartz microgranular quartz, the gemstones, the ornamentation, the highly polished precious metals that you see in the book of Revelation chapter 4 emphasized there. They are similar to diamond. He says they are geological wonder. If you look at how he described them in that scripture. Like crystal. Like a sea of glass. He says topaz. Hmm? That wonder. That wonder. Geological wonder. Gem. I don't know whether there is a better way to describe it for you to understand. And then you see very clearly that the Lord targeted, after describing the gravity of appearing before the throne of God, where there is greater eternal life. For example, if you read from the book of Revelation, chapter 22, chapter 22, verse 1, only one verse, then you understand some of the items that I am listing. I could list them on and on forever. For example, Revelation chapter 22, verse 1, it says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life. You remember this past night, this way the Lord took me. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops, of years, 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree, the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nation. No longer will there be any curse. The throne, the, the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see God face to face. They will see his face. And his name will be on their forehead. So you can read on. I've read up to about verse 4. But verse 1 is a five. Or you can read on throughout. You see now some of the attributes that the Lord led me to bring to the church yesterday. That the throne of God is a place of greatest life, for example. Why there will be death and judgment and fire and punishment in hell, 
But now look at the throne of God when the church enters. Yesterday the Lord brought it very clearly by reading from the book of Revelation chapter 4 that that's where there's abundant life, unspeakable abundance, meaning eternal, everlasting life. Yeah? And you have seen very clearly here that there is a river of the water of life there. You see the leaves of the tree of life that heal, that cause you to live eternally, yeah? everlasting life. This is what the Lord delivered yesterday. And you can read on and on. You can see there is no curse. No more curse of sin. And it is for the healing of the nation, the fruit of the tree of life. It was such an awesome message the Lord brought to the church that as you wait in that studio to receive this message from Nairobi, the recording from the technical team, but I wanted to bring this in your conversation so that it may not be lost on you. But yesterday, yesterday the Lord targeted this perpetual sin of the church by laying gravity on the splendor, the majesty, the power, the justice, the authority, the holiness, the grace, the sovereignty, the praise, the purity, the eternal life, the joy, the peace, the glory that is abound the throne of God. That the Christians may now take it more seriously, that going and entering heaven is not a joke. It should be the aspiration of every Christian. But the Lord focused on something very important that I want to bring forward here today. He targeted this perpetual sin in the church. And he targeted the modern generation now, the modern generation of Christians and churches. And you saw him address the camera, talk to the United States of America, Australia, Europe, Asia, everywhere. And he told them that, you see, the covenant of the grace, because he really wanted to focus on the purification of the church. And he told the nation, he told the church, he told you yesterday very clearly that the covenant of grace, the man that happened to Isaiah before the throne of God, described the entire cascade, the entire spectrum of the Christian life until they enter before the Lord Almighty in heaven. And the Lord said that the, the, the covenant of grace that he gave the church is the most important aspect of the Christian salvation they receive. The covenant of the grace. But the Lord also made it very clear that that covenant of grace by design, owing to the fall in the garden where righteousness was lost, obedience was lost, holiness was lost. The Lord emphasized that yesterday. That the covenant of grace is embedded the foundation that holds that covenant of grace is the righteousness of God that the covenant of grace must deliver to the church. That came out very clearly yesterday. That the covenant of the grace, and the reason I'm saying, because you told me you have not yet received the clips and the recordings from Nairobi, and so it's such an opportune time now that the Lord has spoken with me about a healing service, about great healing coming to the land when it took me to his throne room. I took this opportunity to debrief you also, to highlight some of the things as you wait for your message to come to Jesus, his Lord Radio Studio, the recordings of yesterday. But the Lord brought it very clearly that the covenant of grace is the most important aspect of the Christian salvation you saw behold. But he also, however, he also raised an issue because he was targeting to purify the child from the misnomer, this aberration of faith. This misconception of faith 
that has led the church astray globally. You can see the Lord set out to bring purification, sanctification, and set the record straight yesterday. He says, that covenant of grace that you so celebrate is, however, embedded in it is ingrained the righteousness of God that was lost in the garden by Adam and Eve. Now, inside the covenant of grace was ingrained the righteousness of God that the covenant of grace, the salvation of Christ, is meant to deliver into the lives of the believers, into your life, the Christian. And he said that was by design. And the Lord brought it out very clearly yesterday that the present day church has misunderstood the grace and attempted to corrupt the grace, the hard-won grace, one of the cross at Calvary, to corrupt it by removing the righteousness of God from it. And so, they have brought into place the highlights. They have highlighted justification beyond sanctification. If you heard what was being said yesterday, I know it was a lofty message. It was a very high message. That's why it was, it's important for me to debrief you also. If I had to debrief the bishops, then it's important to debrief the church too. Because the Lord says that there is overemphasis on justification by the grace. And so the present day church are going back to sin because they have lost. They have fallen off the grace. They have abused it. They have lost the salvation that Jesus brought by overemphasizing justification and losing the ingrained righteousness that the salvation of Christ was meant to deliver into the hearts of the believers, into the life of the church. If you listen very carefully, that is what was being delivered. That's why you see, however hard the message was, the messengers of the Lord were on course, charging like a horse. They decided that sanctification and purification must be delivered to the church. However hard it may have seemed to the average Christian, but they wanted this delivered, that perpetual sin may come to an end. And so, they raise the fact that the misconception, the misunderstanding, and the corrupting of the grace by removing righteousness is the fall, is the downfall, is what has undone the church. And relating that to the events of purification, Isaiah goes through before the throne. So it was a very powerful and lofty message that the Lord was delivering to the church. However, you needed to understand very carefully, listen very carefully, to understand where he was targeting in order to erode, to totally demolish this lie of the devil by overemphasizing justification and then promoting promiscuity with sin in the church. And at one point the Lord said, if you listen very well, he said that Christian salvation without righteousness is simply no salvation at all. In fact, he says it's another religion. It's not the salvation of the cross and the blood Jesus brought. In fact, it amounts to blackmailing, abusing Christ Jesus, and not honoring the great work he did on the cross at Calvary. And I remember very well, the Lord spoke very clearly, and he said that God loves his creation. He brought that very clearly out when he read from the book of Genesis 1, 26-27. And he says, the Lord really loves his creation. And at the 
center of his creation, he placed man. So he really loves man and his creation. There's no question about that. Even to see his redemptive work, to send Christ Jesus, redeem the church out of sin. That is so much love. Genesis, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world so much. So we see very clearly that yesterday the Lord delivered it very powerfully, that the Lord loved his creation so much. And he said the creation at the center of it, that love, is mankind, the church. He loves the church so much. If you go by the power he delegated them to rule over the creation, rule over the seas, the crops, the what, everything, the gemstones, the minerals, the animals, everything. You can see great love. And he devolved power from heaven and gave man. So he says, and he created man in his own image and likeness. And in verse 31 of Genesis 1, you saw how everything is excellent. He loved it. So there is no question that the Lord loved his creation. But he says in yesterday's message, what came out very clearly, that in that loving of mankind, in that loving of creation, however, sin, sin from Satan, sin is what has actually been trying to defile the love of God towards his creation. That came out very clearly yesterday. That sin is what has undone the love that God had placed upon man. And we see very clearly in God's plan and mission to come and delete sin, to be able to restitute, to reinstall, to maintain, to sustain his original love for his creation and man and the church, he sent Jesus. And after Jesus finished the work, these are some of the things the Lord said in the finishing moments of that conference. When Jesus finished his work and ascended into heaven, seated on the right hand side of the Father, sent the Holy Spirit to help the church. But yesterday, this is what the Lord highlighted. He says that now, ever since Christ finished the work of the cross, the Lord has then set up a standard for salvation because he loves mankind. Sin has been defining that love. Christ can redeem mankind. But whosoever, whichever human being, whichever person that will now help, whichever church Christian that will help God in his plan to eradicate sin, to install his plan, his love for mankind, whoever helps God in his plan, in his blueprint, to get rid of sin and achieve his goal of loving man, God has set out a reward. He has set out to gift them, to reward them. That is what came out in that conference yesterday. He has set out to reward anybody that sets out to help him achieve his plan to get rid of sin and sustain, maintain the original love he had for the church, for mankind, for his creation. And so, in saying so, yesterday the Lord brought it to you very clearly, very, very clearly, that God intended to provide a gift of imputed, accredited righteousness. Imputed righteousness to anybody that is repentant. In other words, anybody that pursues sanctification. That is what came out very clearly in the conference yesterday. That anybody that will help God in this plan, his plan, his process of eradication of sin, then he would reward them with accreditation. He would accredit them 
with righteousness. He would impute unto them the righteousness of God as a reward because he loves his church. That is what the Lord delivered yesterday at that conference. And so you see very clearly that the righteousness that now the other church, the fallen church, is using in order to highlight justification is actually supposed to have been the righteousness that is a reward for the repentant heart. Repentant Christians. Those that turn away from sin. And in other words, you can see that yesterday the Lord said that, in fact, he came out literally and said, God never intended that the righteousness, imputed righteousness, be a reward to perpetual sinners. That is what came out yesterday. Very key in that meeting, that conference yesterday. That never has God ever intended that the imputed righteousness of God, that the Messiah, are credit, assigned, consigned to the believers, be a reward for perpetual sinning. Be an impetus to perpetual sinning, meaning to be a reward to those that are in perpetual sin, as you see in the present day church. That came out very, very clearly, blessed people. And he also came out very clearly that Jesus himself taught about righteousness and the need for conformity to the will of Yahweh, God the Father. The will of Yahweh, God the Father. Remember Isaiah appears before the throne of God and there is the throne of the Messiah, the Lamb, and the throne of God. I have seen them both. Remember the conversation with John the Baptist, the 2nd of April 2004, in front of the throne of God. When at the end now, I see the Lamb seated on His throne. He opens my eyes, Father, so I'm able to see beyond the glory inside the throne. And see the Lamb seated on His throne, the glorious throne, which I've not described yet. And the blood flowing on His chest, flame. But yesterday, the Lord came out very clearly that Jesus Himself taught about righteousness, the need for righteousness, as a very important aspect of the salvation of God to conform, to conform the believer, those that believe, repent to the will of God, the will of Yahweh. And even though I did not read that scripture, it is in the book of Matthew, chapter 5, 17, 20, but you see very clearly that Jesus himself said, I did not come to dismantle the law. I did not, but I came to fulfill it. I came that it may be fulfilled in you. So surely, what came out very clearly as the Lord spoke to the church globally yesterday is that God never ever intended that the gift of righteousness, the righteousness of God, this imputed righteousness, this righteousness that assigned the believer from God by the grace was never intended to be a reward for perpetual sinning in the church or to the perpetual sinners. However, it was intended to be a gift, a gift, a reward to those that pursue repentance and the turning away from sin. 
So there's no excuse whatsoever for the so-called over-highlighting of justification while perpetual sin continues in the church. That is what the Lord set out to put straight yesterday in the conference. I know it was a little lost here for the average church, average Christian, but it's important that this discourse, this conversation enters the fiber of the hearts of the believers. That they are not lied to. And the Lord made it very clear that the Holy Spirit, when he was sent yesterday, the Lord spoke very clear yesterday, very clearly, that when he sent the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit was meant to work in the lives of the Christian believers in order to achieve that righteousness of God, in order to sustain it, to maintain the benchmark of salvation, righteousness. Otherwise, what would be the difference between Christianity and the religions of the world where there is no righteousness, no holiness? And the Lord raised Matthew chapter 3. And he said, the grace was designed to bring to the attention of the Christian believer. Look at this now. The Lord brought that very clearly out yesterday. That the grace of God was designed, by design in other words, to bring to the attention of the church, to deliver to the church by design, the deadliness of sin. He used the exact word I'm using today. The deadliness of sin. The dangers of sin. That sin can be so bad to the extent that the son of the living God himself has to come down, pay the price, and die. And be killed. Very brutally to pay for your sin. So the grace of God was never intended to numb, to numb the church on sin. However, to sensitize the church on sin. On the sinfulness of sin, the dangers of sin, the consequences of sin, the effects of sin. That is what the Lord said yesterday at the conference. And so for the blessed bishops that were here yesterday, the precious bishops that were here yesterday from the National Council of Bishops and the debriefing that took place, this is the debriefing that the Lord gave them. Why? Because at one point in the conference I was seeing as though they were bland. Because I needed to bring this lofty conversation, praise the Lord, to be able to purge sin from the church, to say enough is enough, perpetual sinning. And so the Lord says, the grace is good, the grace delivered salvation, but the grace is founded on the restoration of the righteousness of God lost in the Garden of Eden. And so there is no way you could divorce the grace from the righteousness of God. And the Lord essentially, he essentially highlighted that the grace of God, the salvation of the grace, was intended to sensitize the Christian believer on the dangers of sin, the deadliness of sin, that if sin can really cause the Son of God himself from heaven, God himself, God the Son, to come die, then sin is too deadly. And the Lord also raised a son warning that the grace of Yahweh cannot be abused. And he mentioned Hebrews chapter 6, 46, Hebrews chapter 10, 26 to 31, and 2 Peter chapter 2, 19, 22. He raised the warning on the abuse of the grace that he set out to, de to, to destroy. He set out to address yesterday. And he says, 
that the great therefore was never meant to help Christians tolerate sin. If you listen carefully, that is what the Lord said yesterday. That the grace of Christ Jesus, therefore, was never ever intended to help Christians tolerate sin, be numb to sin, become addicted to sin, become perpetual sinners, become chronic sinners. Never ever. In other words, at the end you heard him even say that therefore God is now calling upon the present day church to repent and walk in righteousness because in Revelation chapter 19 verse 8, the church that climbs the stairs and goes to the New Jerusalem and enters heaven is actually a righteous church. That garment for entry is righteousness. I will come back with to you, blessed people, in the next about five to ten minutes again. We take a short worship break uh, with the debriefing of what took place yesterday. That you may understand the debriefing that took place uh, at the head offices here. And also the message that the Lord gave there. I thought it was important because it was such a lofty message. I thought it was important for, for the Lord, for the Lord to now a bit to synthesize it for you. That you may understand that he set out to bring a very important understanding of sanctification vis-a-vis justification. In other words, righteousness vis-a-vis justification. I'm going to come back to you very shortly. But it's so powerful to see the kind of conversation the Lord engaged the church in yesterday. I will be back to you, blessed people, in about 15 minutes or so to continue with the debriefing. It's going to get greater. You're going to understand even better why the Lord brought forward the throne of God as the centerpiece of that conversation, the gravity of God, the gravity of appearing before the throne, the gravity of going to heaven, and hence the need to prepare well. May the Lord bless you today. Shalom. Praise the Lord, my Lord, the mightiest, mightiest prophets of the Lord. Well, uh, blessed people, uh, we have seen that uh, yesterday, the Lord spoke in a very, very serious way to the church, especially on this matter of uh, perpetual sin, continued sin. Blessed people, we saw in the first session today this morning that the Lord spoke, the Lord spoke in that conference yesterday in a very, very mighty way uh, to the church globally. And it spoke about purification. And you can see that the Lord was intent on engaging the church in a conversation, a very, very critical conversation regarding this perpetual sin that goes on in church, despite people professing Christian salvation, people confessing that they have received the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And... uh, In that conversation that the Lord had with the church yesterday, the Lord set out deliberately to address, and again it looked more like a very complicated message for the average Christian, but the clergy were there, the pastors were there, including uh, the debriefing that took place at the offices here, the head offices in Nairobi in the night, all the way up to about 11 o'clock. Uh, in that conversation at the conference, the Lord had set out to bring a correction 
to the misconception on the grace of Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. This misconception that has led to numbness, to sin, and the Lord said very clearly that appearing in heaven is a serious thing. It is of extreme seriousness, and it's a paramount thing that a mortal person, mortal being, with all the sinfulness of this world and the inherited sin from Adam and Eve, that now a mortal person can be able to enter and inherit the glorious holy kingdom of God. And the gravity of that appearing inside heaven was the appearing before the throne of God, which in that conference the Lord brought up very clearly that he has already shown his servant on that July 29th, 2009 visitation in South Africa on the way to Venezuela for a national revival when the Lord for the first time presented the church standing before the throne of God and worshipping the Lord. So it was in that context of the gravity of appearing before the throne of God that the Lord Almighty now walked backwards. He now derived from there and laid emphasis on the importance and the gravity of the present-day church preparing well to enter heaven. And in the first session I said yesterday the Lord set out to rebuke the apostasy of the present-day church. Because the Lord brought it out very clearly to them that the grace is the most important aspect of the Christian salvation that the church so beholds, that they behold today. And that that grace is ingrained. Inside that grace is captured with the fiber of righteousness. By design, God has consolidated that grace, consolidated righteousness into the fiber of the grace Jesus delivered by design. And the Lord also made it clear yesterday that that was done because the grace was meant, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the salvation of the grace, the grace was meant to deliver the righteousness, the holiness and the obedience that was lost in the Garden of Eden and that there is no way now this present generation can pick and choose at their convenience and say, I will take the salvation of the grace, but I will remove out some things, I will remove out some things from the grace, remove out righteousness. And we saw that yesterday the Lord really underscored very clearly that the Christian salvation of the grace without righteousness is no salvation at all, is indeed another religion. So the age, the age, the advantage that the Christian salvation that Jesus brought over the other religions of the world is that our salvation of the grace indeed inculcates righteousness into the lives of the believers. It inbuilds and cultivates righteousness in the life of the church, the lives of the believers. That is the only difference between this salvation, the, what we have today, the religion of the cross, and the idol religion, idol worshipping that takes place 
in the Eastern religions and all the others. And the Lord also came out very clearly that his intent for imputed grace, for accrediting grace, for giving credit within the salvation of grace, the credits of righteousness, so the imputed righteousness, the assigned righteousness, the righteousness of God that is assigned to the church, to they that believe in Jesus, who have received the salvation of Jesus, salvation of the grace of Jesus, that that righteousness assigned to them, the righteousness of God imputed, consigned to them, was actually by design intended by the Lord Yahweh to be a reward, to be a gift, to be a gift given to repentant Christians, to a repentant church. And that never was it intended to reward that righteousness that is from God and assigned, imputed, you don't work for it, was never intended to be a reward to perpetual sinners in the church. Never. So that came out very clearly. We saw in the first part of the debriefing of the major, major, tremendous conference that took place here today. And so, we saw very clearly, blessed people, that in that conversation, the Lord was essentially saying that time is out for apostasy, the complacency of the misconception, and the, tri the corrupting of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ has to come to an end. That this generation of Christians have attempted to corrupt the gospel, the grace of Jesus, misunderstand it, and so, in order now to remove righteousness from the hard-won, hard-won grace that was achieved by our Lord Jesus on the Calvary cross. Hard-won. It was a difficult travail. And we saw that Jesus himself came and said, I have not come to take away or abolish the law, but I've come that the law may be fully accomplished, fulfilled in you. I've come to fulfill the law in you. Then we see also that the forerunner in the book of Luke, chapter 3, verses 7 to 9, that the forerunner that prepares the way of the Messiah says, You brood of vipers, who has warned you of the coming wrath, repent and show fruit of repentance. Otherwise, out of these rocks, God can raise for son for Abraham too. So you see that all framework for the covenant of the grace was intended to deliver righteousness. And we say very clearly also that by design the Lord God Almighty decided to give the church the grace, the salvation of the grace, in order to deliver to the church, to score in the hearts of the believers, the deadliness of sin. As in Luke now, this is just how deadly sin is. If the Son of the living God himself, God the Son, could come down to the earth and die brutally, horrendously, before he resurrects, tortured for the sake of delivering us from sin, then sin is really very deadly. So, the grace of our Lord Jesus, with 
righteousness ingrained in it, intrinsic, ingrained in it, and original. It is fiber. You cannot separate that. You know, cannot divorce the grace from righteousness that it came to deliver. That then the salvation of the grace was by design by the Lord intended to deliver to the church, to this generation, to Christians, believers, the deadliness of sin, the dangers of sin. In other words, sensitize the church on sin. Sensitize the Christian believer on sin. That is the message the Lord spoke yesterday there. That never was the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the salvation of the grace, intended to numb the church, to make the church insensitive, to make the church numb, no feeling to sin, numb to sin, never ever. Then the warning of the abuse of the grace that the Lord intended out to address yesterday, intended set out to address yesterday, that warning is in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 to 6. Hebrews chapter 10, 26, 31. Hebrews, 2 Peter chapter 2, 19, 22. Those scriptures are in the New Testament. The same thing you see in the warning of Anania and Sapphira in the book of Acts. The book of Acts chapter uh, chapter again Acts the, the book of uh, Ananias Sapphira. Let me find it for you. Ananias Sapphira. In the book of Acts, you see very clearly that they lie in the New Testament church and die. Lie and die. Hmm? So the Lord speaks very clearly on the intent and the role of the covenant of the grace, and He says. The book of uh, Acts chapter 5, verses 1 to 11, if you get time, you read it later. And he says, you, you lie, the New Testament church, they lie and die. Lie and die. So what is this so-called uh, justification that overrules the righteousness of God that the present-day church is fronting to the global landscape, to the Christian fraternity? And so it came out very clearly in the conference. And like I said, in that meeting, the Lord came out to address the abuse of the grace and this unbelievable uh, recycling into sin, perpetual sin, which becomes inequity, workers of inequity. Eh? Uh, so, so perpetual sin that has claimed the church, claimed the center stage of Christian salvation, whereby sin out sin in 24 7 sin. And the Lord has set out to bring it to an end by bringing understanding. An important understanding to the Christian fraternity, to the global church of Christ, to the church of Christ globally. And so, in that way, the Lord said, never ever was the salvation of the grace meant to cause the Christians, to incite the Christians, to stimulate, stimulate the Christians to be tolerant to sin. The opposite is true, that the salvation of the grace was meant to sensitize the Christian on what sin is. What is sin that they may shun it? They were supposed it's meant to bring rejection to sin. Zero tolerance to sin. Owing to the cross, the deadliness with which sin brought our Lord Jesus Christ all the way from heaven and crucified him. And we see very clearly, therefore, that the grace 
of the Lord Jesus Christ, the grace of our Lord Jesus that was brought, with righteousness ingrained in it, as the, as the core fiber of it, the righteousness lost in the garden, being restored by the grace, that that grace was essentially meant to be able to call the present-day church to live a repentant life, to repent. And that's why you see that in finishing yesterday the conference, the Lord, the Lord did call the generation to repentance, that they may be able to be sanctified, to repent and live a righteous life, and that the Holy Spirit was sent to the church to help the church to walk in the lives and the hearts of the Christian to be able to achieve the righteousness of God to score that landmark, that, that hallmark of righteousness in Christian salvation, that the Holy Spirit would enable them. Value systems change, lifestyles change, ratings change, talk change, many ways, the myriad of ways. And in that conversation, we saw very, very clearly that the Lord first brought to the church the gravity of coming into his glorious heaven and appearing before him. And that holy, holy, holy three times, the three times holy God, that is holy before, holy now, and holy eternally, the infinity, the infinite holy God, the infinity of the holiness of God. So therefore, the ability to stand before God is what the Lord discussed yesterday, making strong reference, great reference to Isaiah chapter 6, on when Isaiah appears before the throne of God. And so I would like to continue with the second phase, blessed people, of this deep briefing on the mighty conference that took place yesterday. And I say today the Lord took me before his throne again, and the Lord presented before his throne. He presented the tree of life and the leaves of the tree of life to these two prophets of the book of Revelation, the end prophets that are walking the earth now. And then he sent them down and said, these are for the healing of the nation. And so, and I saw they blossomed into a bustani, into a garden, a tremendous garden. The details I don't give here. And I said that that is probably some of the healings that took place yesterday because, you know, we know that a cripple stood up yesterday in Oyuki's town and walked. And it's a big situation there now. And we know that others also may have been healed across the country. But I say probably there's another healing service coming up before December, maybe by radio. And the second phase of this day briefing, I want to advance the conversation that the Lord brought before the church globally yesterday to cure this misconception on the covenant of the grace, to stop the rampant sin that you see in the church. The ability to stand in God's presence. This is what was being discussed. A church that is being prepared for entry to heaven. In other words, being addressed vis-a-vis -vis the ability to stand before the presence of the throne of God. And the Lord yesterday, in a nutshell, also brought the gravity, the importance of the conversation he was inviting the church on. 
And that's important. In passing, he mentioned, but now I'll read it. He mentioned the book of Luke. For example, Luke chapter 16, 22 going down, he says, A time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In hay, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. Luke 16, 24, he says, So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me, and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in ex- because I am in extreme agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember in your lifetime you received your good things. Why Lazarus received bad things? But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. Verse 26. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot. Nor can anyone cross over from there to us. Look at that now. He replied, he answered, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let, let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Verse 29, Abraham replied, There are Moses and the prophets down there. Let them listen to them. Verse 30 says, No, Father Abraham. He said, But if someone the dead, goes to them, they will repent. He said to them, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophet like Elijah, they will not be convinced even if someone like Mamarosa rises from the dead and for, a, for one year and eight months, must go and warns them and warns them to listen to those prophets and then comes back to me here. They will still not listen. Anyhow, <laughs> this is the kind of narrative that the Lord brought before the church yesterday when he said that right now this scripture underscores gravity for engaging the church in this conversation of correcting, curing the misconception of the grace that people may not be deluded and then end up in a place where Lord, Lord, please open for us we used to be in the church and then he turns around and says, to tell you the truth, I do not know you. He says, this conversation, this chasm, this rift that divides Abraham and Lazarus from the rich man, such that they cannot cross one another, he says, at that time, it will be irreversible. By the time of the rapture, it will be irreversible. And he says, this is what underscores gravity on the necessity for the church to hold this conversation right now. That people may understand right the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that it was never a license, a passport, a warranty 
for you to go into a rampage of perpetual non-stop sin in the church. Never. So yesterday, you saw that is the reason, because of this kind of gravity. He mentioned this in passing, but you can see that it is this kind of gravity that made the two prophets of the Lord to continue charging like a horse. Even though the bishops in their faces and the preachers and the people that were seated there were frowning in their faces, they were showing bland faces as though they were not following, as though the message was too lofty. But you saw that the two prophets of the Lord were relentless. The Lord was pushing them to ensure that they establish this conversation in the mainstream of the church, that the correction may be brought forth. They did not care what the people were thinking this a little too lofty for them to perceive. No. Because the Lord had decided that the time to establish, to bring forth this conversation into the body of Christ was now. That the devil may stop flourishing and thriving from the misunderstanding and the corrupting of the grace. And it's amazing because in laying emphasis on the gravity of this, they also mentioned, the Lord also mentioned Isaiah 26. The Lord with his servant mentioned Isaiah 26 verse 20, where the door shut, the door of heaven closes, that please capture this truth before the door closes, lest it, be, lest it become too late for you. And we see that the Lord also brought it to them, the Lord read for them, for the church, Isaiah 24, 1 to 3, how he will destroy the earth. So don't bank on this. Make sure that your perception, your concept of salvation is right, that you may enter heaven, because even the earth will be destroyed. The Lord also mentioned the book of Matthew 24 to 22, I beg your pardon, Matthew 22, verses 11 to 14, where he said that the Father walked into the waiting room for those who were preparing to enter the rapture, the guests invited, and noticed there a man, a man sitting there who was not wearing wedding clothes. That if there is any place at which the Lord indicted, he indicted, he indicted and laid a case against this abuse of the grace. The misconception of the grace you see all over, flourishing in America, flourishing in Latin America, flourishing in Europe, flourishing in Asia, Australia, Africa, everywhere. If there is a point at which he rebuked them and he brought them to task, the pulpit, the Church of Christ, the altar, the priests, the pastors who are preaching this cheap grace, this misconceived grace, if there's a point at which he brought them to point, he brought them to task, was when now he spoke about Matthew 22, God the Father coming to check the people, those invited who are meant to enter into the wedding feast of the Lamb at rapture. And you see there at God the Father finds a man he calls friend, Haver, Monami, Amigo Mia, Rafiki, a friend. He calls him friend, meaning they knew each other. And he asked him, friend, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? Meaning, 
The wedding clothes were provided gratis to all people. You can see the heart of God that when he sent Jesus to the cross, when he created man, he intended that there be no death, that all people live eternally. That when he sent Christ Jesus to the cross, he also intended that nobody go to hell, that literally everybody enter heaven. And he provided the garment of righteousness gratis as a bonus for free to all men. And the failure to wear the garment of righteousness is now the fault of he that is naked there. He that is not wearing it. In other words, he said, others, when they received Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior, the grace, the salvation of the grace, they went ahead, they, they, they accepted it, and then opened their hands, received it in their heart, and then after that, they wore it and walked in the salvation of the grace, and they ingrained righteousness. Meaning there is an effort on your part. And that's why, when he finds a man there who's not wearing a garment, he's shocked, he says, why are you not wearing the, your garment? It was available to you, availed to you. Why are you not wearing? Meaning the garment is free for everybody to wear. So where did this present generation of pastors, you see, all over TBN, Deisa, Inspiration, whatever the TVs, you see globally also in all of Africa, everywhere, Kenya, where, Europe, where did they get the concept from that once you are born again, once you receive the grace, that is it. Your entry is guaranteed. In other words, justified eternally. Where did they pick that concept from? When the Lord is presenting here an entry for rapture, Matthew 22, that there is a task, there is a role on your part as a believer. You must accept the grace, receive it, and wear it and walk in it. So, where did the present generation, present church, get from this deluded notion that once you receive Christ, that is it. You're now justified. And so it was such a tremendous conference the Lord had yesterday with the church to speak to her, to straighten her, to cure her misnomer, misunderstanding. And so to advance this conversation, I want to go straight with you into the book of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. So Hebrews 12, 14, blessed people, look at what he says here. He says, make every effort, that's an effort, make every effort to live in peace, meaning you have a role. You find a lot of preachers now lying to the world, lying to the church, that once you have received Christ, if you try to do something, if you put an effort, that is not the salvation of the grace. Where did they get that lie from? When he says clearly here, make every effort to live in peace with everyone, with all men, and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. The holiness that allows the church to stand in God's presence, to stand before the throne of God, 
That holiness is absolute sinlessness. If you look at the, the, the different definition of holiness, that means absolute sinlessness. And the Lord is saying here it's achievable because He has sent the Holy Spirit. The Lord is saying He is able to work with you. And that's why sanctification became a very important component of that conference yesterday. And I'll come to it in a short moment. Because Isaiah chapter 6 really goes a long way that was read yesterday. Isaiah chapter 6. Chapter 6 verse 5. He says that holiness is a requirement for the church or for anybody to stand before the presence of the Lord, before the throne of God. Verse 5 Isaiah 6 says, Woe unto me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. So now, standing before the Lord, you see very clearly, the Lord is calling, is making a clarion call on holiness. That there be repentance and mankind return to holiness. Because that is how you prepare for the coming of the Messiah. And then by the enabling of the Holy Spirit, He's able to slowly and gradually purge you, purge sin of you. And in the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 33, again, Exodus 33, still talking about appearing before the Lord. Exodus 33 verse 19. Look at what he says here. 19 and 20. He says, And the Lord says, I'll cause my goodness, Exodus 33, blessed people, and I'll cause my goodness to pass in front of you, and I'll proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So you can imagine. He's saying here that this justification, justified, justified that the present day church is exalting beyond sanctification, beyond consecration, beyond righteousness, beyond holiness. He's saying, why are you assigning unto yourself justification? And yet in this scripture you see, it is the prerogative and the preserve of the Lord himself to have compassion on whom he has compassion, to have mercy on whom he has mercy. Like you saw with Isaiah before the throne, it is the Lord that invoked his pardon over the sins of Isaiah and asked, he ordered the seraphim, one of them to touch the hot coal with a tongue and touch the lips of Isaiah to purge sin off his heart and make him now functional, useful, good for purpose. Now serve the purpose for which God created him. And to cure the dysfunction 
that Adam and Eve brought in the garden, which destroyed the good for purpose with which he created the church, now restored when the hot tongue touches, the hot coal touches the lips of Isaiah, passed in from his heart, now good for purpose. Now can hear God talking in the interior, in the inner chambers of the throne. Now can respond, can speak back to the Lord, stand before the Lord. The ability to stand in God's presence. And now say, Lord, here am I, send me. And now the ability to go out to the earth to be to speak for God, to be a speaker for God, to speak for God. Not only to speak with God, but to speak for God. This is the process that happens to his servants, the prophets. And this is the process, the cascade he intended the church must pass through. But you see that that pardon that was being ministered by the seraphim, the seraph, before the throne of God, was actually initiated by God. That forgiveness, that mercy, that grace, it came from the Lord. Isaiah did not assign unto himself some justification that, oh, there is there for no condemnation since I'm already here. Isaiah never did what the present day church is doing. This self-justification, how come you can't realize that that justification is the Lord now watching you, looking how you receive the covenant of the grace, how you're walking with Christ, and then he says, behold, I've justified you. It's the other way around. It begins with the salvation, the repentance from sin, salvation of the grace, receiving Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior. And embracing the righteousness that salvation delivers in your heart through the Holy Spirit. Observing sanctification, consecration, set apart for God's use. And then now the Lord now justifies. That was the chronology. But what is this whereby now everybody justified, 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 and ratifying sin, licensing sin in the lives of the believers? This is the conference the Lord intended and the Lord delivered yesterday to the church. And you see that even in the scripture of Red, we've read Exodus 33, 19 to 20, that it is God who now chooses whom to have compassion over, on whom to have compassion, on whom to have mercy, on whom to display grace, to present grace, to deliver grace. And forgiveness. And so, in this conversation of balancing between sanctification and justification, now look at that. The Lord comes out very openly and rebukes the present day church that is fronting, justify, don't worry, don't worry, just continue like that. Never was the covenant of the grace intended to to, 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 to flourish sin in the lives of the believers. That would really dishonor the horrendous sacrifice that Christ gave more on his own body on the cross at Calvary. It is amazing. So, blessed people, the Lord yesterday had a tremendous conversation. A serious conversation with the, with the present day church. And he asked some serious questions on this issue of consecration, righteousness. 
of holiness, of sanctification. Why is the present day church saying you don't have to make an effort? There is no need to make an effort. If you do an effort, they say, well, that one now is not the grace. That Jesus finished it all. That if you make an effort to dress holy like this, choose to dress like what? Or holy like this? That's not the grace. That's not the grace. Because Jesus justified you anyhow. Where did they get that notion from? And yet we see very clearly that the Lord's intention was actually for all people to come into his glorious kingdom when he created the church, that nobody ever goes to hell. You can see the heart of God. He really wanted all people to enjoy this eternal celebration in the everlasting life in the kingdom of God. There is no scarcity of space in heaven. But then when sin came, then you hear the Lord now talking about some people not coming into heaven. So the Christian work, vis-a-vis Christ's work, we know that Christ finished it already. But the Lord has also come out very clearly that you have a role. There is an effort you are supposed to put him through. And yesterday, the Lord came out and gave the example of manna. That when he poured the heavenly bread, manna, which symbolized the living bread, the bread of life that is Jesus, when he poured the living manna, in that Exodus 16, when he poured bread from heaven, which symbolized the living bread, Christ Jesus, who would come from heaven, to nourish mankind with life. You know, bread is for life. In Israel, they eat bread. Everywhere they eat bread. Bread is very important in Israel. And it's important elsewhere, too, all over the world. But bread sustains life. So the Lord, by pouring manna from heaven, he was essentially foretelling of this true bread of life that would come from heaven, that would nourish men, sustain Christian life, sustain the spiritual life, the life that he gave mankind that would, tra- would transcend this life, would go all the way into heaven. The non-ending life. The bread of life. And yesterday, you heard in the conversation when the Lord was navigating his servant at that conference, they made reference to that manna, the bread in the wilderness, that God poured from heaven. And he says, even if he poured it from heaven, but still there was the path the role of the Israelites to go, to accept it and go out, receive it, and collect it, and bring it home, and eat it, and inculcate it, cultivate it in their lives by eating. Hallelujah. But now, the effects of that bread, they may be part of that bread that he poured from heaven. They may leave. And he says, so it is with the salvation of the grace that God sent us the true living bread with Christ Jesus, with salvation wrapped around him, the salvation of the grace, to deliver to us the living bread, that now there was the part that you too, you first of all have to accept 
You have to accept the, the, the living bread. You have to accept him first. You have a role to play. Let nobody lie to you. And when you accept him, you have the role, you have the part of now receive. Receive him. After receiving, then eat the living bread, the true bread, and walk in the life nourished by that bread. You have a part to play. You see now how the Lord is bringing to fatality the misconception of your preachers of prosperity. And in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18, still in the, now, in the, now in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18, this is what he says. Verses 18 and 19. Hebrews 12, 18, 19, he says, You have not come to a mountain, you have not come to a mountain that can be touched. Again, Hebrews 12, 18, 19, he says, You have not come to a mountain that can be touched, that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking word, that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because of the dread. Because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. And the sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. So this now, many times is cited. Many times the preachers cite this. And they say now, it's different. But the awesomeness of God never changes. The seraphim cover their faces and their feet. They all. Isaiah says, War unto me. And he's saying, This was simply to bring to account, to bring to the fore the fact that they, there was a need. The Israelites needed the Messiah. There was a need for the Messiah, for a mediator. And when the mediator comes, you cannot abuse. So then there is no other way to access God except through the mediator. The works of Christ that he did, I want to go through them today, so that we may reason together, that the Lord may give you counsel, blessed people. The same book of Hebrews, Chapter 9 this time around. And he says, Hebrews chapter 9, 11 and 12. What Christ did for the church. Very powerfully so. But when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands, that is to stay, sorry, that is to say, is not part of this creation. Verse 12. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats 
and curbed, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. The powerful work that Christ did. And then, today, the present day church has taken this awesome work and abused the grace. They have abused the grace. Because they have taken this and they have applied it wrongfully by saying, once this was done, this redemptive work was done, then now it does not matter how you live. And that's why you see the picture of the church today. The other religions are laughing at the church. They look at the dressing, the promiscuity, the sexual immorality in the church, the lack of morals, the profiteering in the church, and they are laughing. They are wondering, what religion is this? And yet Christ, the Son of the living God himself, went and accomplished such tremendous an enormous sight in order to deliver the church. Romans chapter 5 verse 12 he says therefore just as sin entered through Enter the world through a man, one man, death through sin, and in this way, death came to all people because all sin. So that is then the challenge. So for those who are talking about justification, justification, that you're already justified, you can live as you want, you can live whatever lifestyle you so wish. How about this very serious statement regarding sin that the Bible lays out? That sin leads to death. That once you are born again, you don't need to worry. Just leave as you wish. That is the conference the Lord brought yesterday because the Lord wanted to address this issue of sanctification and why it is so critical. It's the foundation of the salvation of the grace and that after that, then justification is assigned by the Lord himself. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10. Hebrews 10, 10, and he says, from Hebrews 10, verse 10, he says, this is what he says, and by that, and by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Christ Jesus once for all. And that is true. But they have taken this to mean that now, once you receive 
the salvation of the grace, then whatever you do, you are always still holy. Hey, how can you say such a thing? When the salvation of the grace was intended indeed to make us very sensitive to sin, extremely sensitive. Let's read Adam of scriptures of the works that Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior, did for us. The awesome work. First John chapter 3. The book of First John chapter 3, verse 2, it says, First John chapter 3, verse 2. Dear friend, now we are children of God. And what will be has not yet... Again, now we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. But now, while this is very important and true, if you read verse 3, then you see the requisite effort, your part. Because he says, all who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Meaning you have a role to reject impurity and sustain the purity you have delivered to you. So you sanctify yourself by setting yourself apart from the decay of the world. That's what he's saying here. That is what the Lord set out yesterday to address in that conference. That the perpetual sinning in the church, in the name of justification, we are justified. We have been justified by the blood. We've been justified. That that may now be cured. That misconception that now that justification may be assigned by God himself as his prerogative, not self-justification. And that for us, we may receive the salvation of the grace and embrace the righteousness embedded in it as the clean garment, bright and clean, white garment, bright and clean, brilliant, and prepare to enter eternity And to prove to you that surely there is no blanket salvation, that once you receive Christ, you must now enter heaven. Look at Revelation, Revelation, the book of Revelation, chapter 17. Revelation chapter 17, blessed people. Look at what it says in the book of Revelation, chapter 17. Revelation chapter 17, verse 8. Let's look at your role. If you have a role, a role. He says, Then the angel said to me, Again, Revelation chapter 17, verse 8. Verse 8, he says, The beast which you saw once, once was, now is not, 
and yet will come up out of the abyss and go to its destruction, the inhabitants of the earth, whose names have not been written in the book of life from the creation of the world, will be astonished when they see the beast. Because it was, it once was, now was not, now, not, rather now is not, and yet will come. Already talking about some people whose names are not going to be found in the book of life. How about Revelation chapter 13? Now I've touched on the book of life. How about the book of Revelation chapter 13? Revelation chapter 13 verse 8. What does he say? He says, All the inhabitants of the earth, all inhabitants of the earth, will worship the beast. All whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life. The Lamb was slain from the creation of the world. Again, he's talking about some people whose names will not be found in the book of life. Step by step. And then, the book of Exodus. Blessed people, Exodus. Exodus chapter 32. Exodus 32, verse 32. Look at what he says. He says, But now, please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book you have written, referring to the book of life. Now, we are beginning to understand that there are those whose names will not be found written in the book of life. And yet, we have seen very clearly that the Lord was so philanthropic, the Lord was so generous with his salvation for entry into eternity that he literally gave each and every person the opportunity to enter. And so he embedded the names of every single person created in the book of life. Because that is the ledger, that is the register of those, the righteous that enter heaven. And you can see, he has no intention at all at creation that anyone go to hell. Now we are seeing that there are people whose names will not appear in that book. And reading now, from Exodus 32, then you find that there is also now the blotting out of certain names. Blotting out. Certain names from the book of life, blessed people. And when you read the book of Psalm 69, Psalm 69, Psalm 69, Psalm 69, verse 28, look at what he says. He says, 
may they be blotted out of the book of life and not be listed with the righteous. So now, there is also the blotting out of certain names from the book of life. So what is this blanket statement, blanket salvation, that whosoever, everybody you are justified, and yet we know now that your name could be the book of life, and then later blotted out. Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3, blessed people. Revelation chapter 3, verse 5. Look at what he says. He says, The one who is victorious, look at that now, meaning you fight to victory. The one who is triumphant, in other words, the one who is victorious, like them, will be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but I will acknowledge that name before my father and his angels. Now we are seeing that the Christ Jesus, that is the owner of the book of life of the Lamb of God in heaven, is the deliverer that delivered all those that enter to heaven whose names are in the book of life, now the same Christ Jesus our Lord, he says, there are certain names you blot out from the book of life. So what is this over-justification, self-justification, that the present-day pulpit, the present-day altar, the present-day pastor, the present-day church is fronting, when the Lord is making it very clear here that you have a role, you have a part to play, that sanctification is key and central. Now the same Jesus, the Lord our Savior, who brought salvation of the grace, is saying, certain names you block out from the book of life. His own book of life. How shocking. And that's why I waited a little bit until 4 p.m. come for people to leave offices that they too may be given the opportunity to partake of this debriefing that took place here yesterday with the Senior Council of Bishops and the College of Bishops. This tremendous conference, debriefing of the conference that took place yesterday at Yaya Kilimani. The Lord set out, as you can see, that this conversation must begin in the hearts of the believers, in the house of the Lord, in the church, in the Christian fraternity. That now the correction must be brought forward. In the book of Revelation chapter 22, he goes on to say, again, Revelation 22 verse 19, he goes on to say, Revelation 22 19, he says, and if anyone takes word, and if anyone takes word away from this scroll of prophecy, God will take away from that person, any share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in the scroll. Meaning, again, there are those that would be inherit, they, 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 would, they would inherit the kingdom, they would be assigned, they would be accepted for kingdom, but owing, born again, received Christ, 
but owing to their act, sinful act. Now again, God himself is saying, he would take them away. He would take the share, he would remove their share from the tree of life, what had been assigned to them. So what is this blanket eternal justification that the present day church is preaching, saying, once you receive Christ, whether you live in sinfulness, it's okay, you are eternally justified. You're not supposed to do an effort. You're not supposed to make any effort. And yet, look at this. Even caution, even the way you execute your salvation. He says, if anyone takes away, takes words away from this scroll of prophecy, God will take away from that person any share in the tree of life. That is everlasting life. And the tree of life is where you stand before the throne of God. That's where God the Father is. Where he took me this morning. God the Father himself, he is meaning he will not allow them to appear before heaven to inherit the kingdom of God. That means he will send them to hell. This is what the Lord set out yesterday to correct. That even as much as you receive the covenant of the grace, just know that it comes with responsibility also. You have a role to play, to guard, to guard your salvation, to defend it, to walk according to the tenets of that grace. Sanctification. And so you see, the Lord brought it to them in the conference, to you in the conference, that sanctification is essentially to be set apart for God's special use and purpose. He mentioned that very clearly. To be set apart for God's special purpose, God's use. In other words, be functional now. Be of God's use to consecrate yourself. In other words, to be holy. So the Lord says, Be holy for I, 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 your God. Be holy for the Lord your God is holy. Keep my statutes and do them. Keep my statutes and do them. <laughs> I am the Lord who sanctifies you. So again, talking about how he sanctifies you. It is him that sanctifies. And then you have a role to sustain that consecration, that separation. You all know the way the Lord created the church. He created you with free will. So sanctification was exalted yesterday in that conference by the Lord. The Lord exalted sanctification tremendously. And he said sanctification equals to holiness. Without which nobody will see the Lord. And the Lord stepped out to raise sanctification as being most important for the church at this hour. In other words, repentance, turn away from sin, and embracing holiness. And the Lord spoke very clearly in that conference yesterday. 
When he says, you have a role. Christ finished it, but you have to defend that salvation of the grace of Jesus because there is no other. That is the ultimate sacrifice. If you abuse the grace, there is no other. There is no other way to come to the Father except through Christ Jesus. For this is the will of God that all people be sanctified. That statement was made in that conference yesterday. That actually the will of God for mankind, for creation, that was that all men be sanctified. First Thessalonians chapter four verse three. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. You should avoid sexual immorality. So what is this justification by the grace of our Lord Jesus that the present day fallen church is preaching and yet sexual sin is flourishing inside the house? What is this kind of sanctification or justification? No, the Lord sanctifies you. Don't worry. Don't worry. Live as you want. And sexual sin is flourishing. And yet we have seen so clearly here that he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 3 that it is God's will that you be sanctified. Therefore, avoid sexual immorality. Avoid sin. That is what the Lord stepped out yesterday. The Lord did step out to bring correction, to, to bring this conversation in the mainstream of the church in order to correct the misconception, the misunderstanding, and the corrupting of the hard-won grace, the grace of our Lord Jesus that he won in a hard battle on the cross at Calvary. Sanctification. The same Revelation, chapter 3, verse 18. Beloved people, the Lord Jehovah is now purifying the church. He is now correcting the error. Because the present generation, they want convenience. They love convenience. I take salvation as it's conven convenient to me. But no. Salvation belongs to Christ Jesus. And yesterday, the Lord came out in a very, very mighty way to be able to underscore the role of the current visitation upon the face of the earth. The cloud of God you see coming all the way from heaven and settling, settling on the crown of my head, settling on my face, settling on these two prophets. And he says, he has come to prepare the anointed way. For the glorious coming of the Messiah. He has come 
that Christ Jesus may stand as supreme in the church and all idols of the world plus inside the church be brought down. The Lord spoke in a very powerful way yesterday to the church of Christ on this matter of purification. The return to purity. Purification. And the Lord brought forth the legal basis for justification. He said, the obedience and the death of Christ on the cross brought forth justification to the church. But never was it intended to return the church back to the fall. The very fall he came to restore. That now just live in rampant sin because you've been justified. Never. That constitutes the abuse of the grace. That's what the Lord underscored yesterday. And the Lord yesterday underscored, he did indeed underscore, that faith in Christ Jesus must be demonstrated, must demonstrate itself to be genuine by certain fruits, the fruits of repentance. Blessed people, in as much as I get time, I'll come back to you on this awesome debriefing on the conference that took place yesterday at Yaya Kilimani, the global conference, and you can see that the Lord came out specifically, even though it looked a little bit at the beginning hard for the pastors and the bishops and the general, the, the, your average Christian, but the Lord really set out to begin this conversation in the church in order to refine the bride, in order to... I shame the devil who has brought misconception, misunderstanding, and corruption onto the only platform, the salvation of the grace that Jesus gave the church. The only platform for entry into heaven. And that by correcting this, then the church may now walk in absolute holiness, may now walk the way, may now walk the prescribed journey through the cross, into the glorious kingdom of God. When I get time again, I'll come to you that we may continue this debriefing. But may the Lord bless you, the Messiah is come. What an awesome opportunity yesterday for the nation, for the church, for the body of Christ to now engage into this very critical conversation and assume the enemy and correct the error and let everybody know that they have a role. Even as Christ has delivered you, through the grace, the covenant of the grace, salvation of the grace. But that salvation, the fiber of that salvation, ingrained in it is the righteousness of God. That is the finest linen, bright and clean, for entry into the kingdom of God. The new Jerusalem that I spoke about in the conference yesterday, that wonderful city of God, the throne of God I spoke about yesterday, the glorious stairs I spoke about, and the wedding ring, the wedding stuff of the Lamb of God, wedding feet. That only that righteousness ingrained in the salvation of the grace can deliver you into the glorious kingdom of God. Only then shall you have actually 
honored Christ for dying for you on the cross. May the Lord bless you. We'll continue this conversation. Time later, probably tomorrow, the day after, whenever. If I get time, I would want to continue, though, to talk about the glory. How he spoke about the role of the glory, the glory that comes, the glory of God, the cloud that comes. So that this debriefing may be complete for the conference that took place yesterday. The tremendous conference of the Lord. The conference of the word. The conference that brought in many nations and in, that they may hear the instruction of God for this hour. Whenever the Lord provides time, it will continue. Thank you. The Lord bless you. Shalom.